Have you ever felt so exhausted and drained that you're left questioning if you're burning out? Hi, I'm Flick Taylor, and my passion for burnout and self-care came about when I became a mental health writer who'd lost her mental health to extreme burnout. I know, the irony is not lost on me. Join me as I host Everyday Burnout Conversations, the honest podcast that shares the stories of others from all walks of life as they recover from, manage and avoid burnout by prioritising their mental health and well-being. Expect to hear fascinating conversations, plus positive and actionable tips and tricks that can help you make the simple life changes your mental health will thank you for. Episodes will be delightfully wrapped up in some epic truths and great humour. So, enjoy! Today, I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest. It's uh, Penny Winsor. She is a freelance writer, a writing coach, and an author. Her first book, Tender, The Imperfect Art of Caring, is out now and has just been released in paperback. She co-hosts a brilliant podcast, Not Too Busy to Write, and that's with fellow author Ali Miller. And her podcast is one of, like, it's just one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It's an absolute joy for busy people, for writers and creatives. Um, and Penny is also an interior and lifestyle photographer. She's a single mum to two gorgeous children when you look at her Instagram feed. And she shares both the joys and the tough times of being a mum and carer to a disabled child. Um, Penny's experienced being a carer in two different ways. And she has a very busy and complicated life at times, which is why I believe we can learn so much from her today. And just you wait, this conversation is going to be a good one. And you'll see why I'm in awe of her writing, her work, her soul, everything. She's incredible. So Penny, welcome. Oh, that was such a nice introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it's so good to have you here. And I really... I'm absolutely in awe of your book. It is beautiful. Um, It's a true testament to caring and what it means to be human and all the lessons involved in that, um, as well as an incredible insight into the the life of a carer. And um, it's blown me away. Like I literally pour over every single sentence. It's not one you just like flick through. You just take your time and you devour it. It's incredible. Now, I love the dedication that you have. Oh, and you, I know you say for my mother, Christine Winsor, who wanted me to learn from what she had been through. So I thought it would be a lovely way to start and just say, you know, tell us more about your lovely mum and what she wanted you to know. Oh, well, this is really interesting. Um, it's, it's funny, I think, for so many women of our generation raising kids, um, people are really starting to learn to try and learn how to look after themselves. But it's really, really challenging, I think, particularly because most of us are working as well as raising kids. But we are under so much pressure societally yeah. to um, raise perfect children, you know, yeah. children who achieve, children who are well-behaved, um, who eat right, who always brush their teeth, who are always clean, who do all these things, right? Yes, um, yes. Who do the right amount of activities, but not too many activities, the right amount of, you know, a little bit of free play too, and all these things. We're under, I feel like we're under enormous pressure. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. There are a lot of things that I know that friends of mine and certainly loads of my peers feel incredibly guilty about that I don't. 
Um, And I think a lot of that is to do with my experience with my mum when I was a teenager and what she went through. Um, She, my mother was a super mum until I was 11. I mean, like super mum, you know, she was my, all of my childhood friends, their favourite mum. She was like the best cook. Everyone always wanted to come stay at our house. (laughs) Um, We had an enormous garden, which she cared for beautifully and a really lovely home. Um, My dad traveled a lot. So she was really, she was really in charge of everything. You know, she was a, she was a solo mum a lot of the time. But she thrived on being a mum, didn't she? She loved loved being a mum. She absolutely loved being a mum. It was very much a choice that she made. Um, But, you know, a a few things happened in her life um, and I got to 11 and she started getting really severe panic attacks overnight. They just started overnight. And, um, and then she sort of battled through that. She, like she had been battling through a few things for the previous few years and sort of putting them aside and putting them aside and not actually really doing anything about them or taking care of herself. Um, and then by the time I was 13, she was in a very, very, very deep depression. And, um, and we went through some really bad years, really, really bad years. And not all the time, because like a lot of mental illness, it was cyclical. It would go through slightly better phases and then much worse phases. She was, we were, I was grew up in Australia and fortunately my mom had private health insurance. So she was, she did have access to healthcare, so to psychiatric care. Um, and she was in and out of hospital a lot. So I don't, I'm trying to, th- it's hard for me to remember back. But I would say between 13 and 15, she was in and out of hospital three times a year, possibly for two weeks at a time. Um, So it was quite often. Um, And I didn't know this is what I was doing at the time. And I realized many, many, many years later that I was one of her carers. And um, my parents were divorced by this point. So there was no other adult in the house. Um, My eldest brother was already away. So it was my middle brother and I. Um, and I didn't realize what I was doing was being a carer, which of course, you know, once I heard, I heard the term young carer, I think probably for the first time, and maybe when I was about 30 and I was like, oh, oh, that makes sense. Now everything makes sense now. (laughs) Um, and so, and what that looked like for us was, um, you know, my mum would often not be able to get out of bed for weeks. And so it would be me, first of all, my brother and I taking care of ourselves, but also it went beyond that to making sure my mom ate something and drank some water and uh, showered occasionally and, you know, coaxing her, encouraging her to go to her doctor and, you know, to go see her psychiatrist and to get outside and get some fresh air and, you know, all of the things that somebody who supports someone with a mental illness needs to do. Um, And I mean, the other thing that was probably a big major part of it for me was that I was her shoulder to cry on. Very much so. So at 13, I was hearing all about everything (laughs) that I probably shouldn't have been hearing to quite the extent that I did at that age. Um, And it wasn't that she had no one else. It's just that I was there every day. Um, And she really did, I think, although she still maintained lots of friendships, she did pull away from them quite a bit, as you do when you're very, very unwell. Yeah. she was very well loved, so she could have, but I know it's incredibly hard for someone who's in a deep depression to reach outwards. And oh. so um, and so I provided a lot of that support for her. Um, so, yeah, it was really, really challenging times, but it was interesting because my mum was the most kind of 
emotionally intelligent, articulate woman. And we really talked about it. We talked about it. when she was going through good phases, we talked about what was happening with her. Why? I understood what was happening. I understood where some things had really gone wrong because she talked it through with me. She never excluded me from it. So she really made me promise when I was a teenager that I wouldn't let it happen to my to me. And oh. I say that knowing that lots of those things aren't controllable. You know, some of the things that happened with my mum are out of the control. You know, probably she was predisposed to it to begin with. But there were also a few things that could have been handled differently along the way. Um, you know, particularly like medical care has changed quite a lot. This was in the mm. late 80s and the 90s and her care would be different now. Um, right. For instance, than it than it was then. She was put on Xanax when she was having panic attacks. Right. And, you know, like, you know, yes. things that hopefully don't happen automatically now, you know, because yes. it's a highly, highly addictive drug. Um, yes. Hopefully now when people experience the kind of really severe panic attacks she did, which I, you know, like the really physical ones where you, think you're having a heart attack um, and she had to go to A&E quite a few times before she understood what was happening and before mm. she was had someone else could tell her what was happening um, hopefully now people who present with those kind of symptoms don't automatically get put on opioids I yes hope. <laughs> yes so obviously it's complex what she went through but um, but she definitely had some regrets about having ignored her own needs for so long to put the needs of the family ahead always Mm. Um, and she loved being a mum and she was doing what she thought was the right thing. And it yeah. turned out that not looking after yourself as a mother is not a good thing to do. Yes. And she regretted it. Oh, um, and yeah. And just loves you, loves you so much that she was just like, don't do this. Please don't yeah. do this. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible, darling. Yeah. Uh, you also um, dedicate the book to your gorgeous kids. And I'd love, I, I mean, I follow you on Instagram and I just adore <laughs> your pictures. And that Arthur, oh my gosh, she's just I know, he's gorgeous. so adorable. He's so gorgeous. <laughs> and I've heard you say in other podcasts, by the way, anyone listening, um, I really highly recommend you go and find other podcasts that Annie, um, Penny has spoken on because you're just you're, oh my gosh, you're an incredible storyteller and you're so honest and open and it's a real oh, joy to listen. Kind. So <laughs> definitely go and listen to more of Penny. Um, but you've said that Arthur, he's like an opera. And I just think that's fantastic. And I'd he love is. you to tell us more. <laughs> he is. It's like, um, it's life in extreme <laughs> with him. It's extreme joy and extreme distress and really not that much in between, which yeah. is quite exhausting, but yes. never boring. Um, it was really funny because when he was a toddler, he really loved opera, like really oh. bombastic arias, you oh know, like Barbara of Seville and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that makes complete sense, actually, that this child likes opera. <laughs> Because it is, he's so dramatic. You know, he makes dramatic facial expressions. He has dramatic emotions. He changes on like, you know, like in a second, everything changes um, for, for, for good and for bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so he is he's very joyful. It's funny, like whenever I meet like a new teacher that hasn't spent that much time with him before yeah. and um, I meet them and they're just like, oh, he's just such a joy and I'm like I know <laughs> and it's funny because um 
you know, I really don't know a lot about autism in general, I would say. I have quite a few friends with autistic kids. They're all completely different. I don't really know much about autism itself. I know a lot about Arthur, but I sort of forget that a lot of autistic kids are really nothing like him. And he is extremely joyful and exuberant. And that's not the case with a lot of children. Um, He's also extremely challenging and like very stubborn and, and, you know, so, so you get, you get the flip side of each and not much in the middle. Yeah. Yes, he lives each moment fully, or oh, whatever yeah. extreme that will be. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. I loved in your book, Penny, how you talk about self-care. And it has become a bit of a buzzword, hasn't it? Now, I think we are moving in the right direction. I think the pandemic hopefully is making us look at what's on our plate and kind of reevaluate our lives. But I loved how you really kind of explained about self-care from a carer's perspective it's really interesting I'd love you to talk about that well it's interesting because I think the thing that I've always found really frustrating about self-care is first of all I'm really good at it I'm great at self-care I've got self-care down pat not all the time but most of the time you know a lot of that comes from learning from my mom's experience um I'm I'm I have zero interest in being a martyr absolutely zero interest But the thing is, it's not enough. It's not enough. There are a lot of things outside of my control and I have a lot on my plate. Self-care doesn't fix all of that. Self-care is great and it's important, but it's not, um, it gets treated like it's the be all and end all. Um, And it's only one part of a whole swathe of things that need to happen. And also sometimes Mm -hmm. it's talked about in a slightly narrow way. For instance, say my main self-care is work. Um, and that's for a number of reasons partly it's because I get to have time alone which is great and I love it Um, it's partly because I get to socialize because I when I'm shooting for instance I'm working in teams and so I'm working with people who are really interesting and really vibrant Um, and it's partly because the work itself is is interesting I love writing I'm really lucky that both of the well, multiple jobs that I do now, I do multiple jobs. Um, they're all interesting and I find them really um, like mentally and intellectually stimulating. Yeah. Um, so there's, re- there's so many reasons, but I mean, also I think for me, the other massive side of self-care is finances because I'm a single parent and I've always been freelance since I was like 23, I think I've been freelance. Um, you know, I have got to think about my pension and I've got to think about, you know, obviously keeping a roof over our head and our immediate um, needs, but also I need to be able to pay for care for my son because I, like, there's, you know, all the bards in the world are not going to change the fact I can't care 24-7. And so if I can work, I can afford the support that I need but I need support to be able to work it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing with um, when you're a carer which is really a big challenge for a lot of carers Mm. Um, so work for me is really the center of it because it allows me to uh, fulfill kind of you know lots of different things like creativity and purpose but also solitude and um, but then financially as well which has the finances have a knock-on effect on my whole well-being because Mm, I couldn't possibly relax if I know I'm not paying anything into a pension. Yes. Because, you know, I've got a child who will be dependent forever. And of course, you know, he will, you know, be eligible for all kinds of government support. But, you know, 
the idea that he would be entirely reliant on that alone without any support from me, without any help from me is really scary because it's not very good (laughs) Um, and who knows what it's going to be in the future. So it's also, um, you know, I have to think about his financial future as well, as well Mm. as mine. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I think sometimes the conversation around self-care is a bit too narrow Um, And then there's the flip side of it, which is there are really, really basic self-care needs that we all have, which are just basic human needs that a lot of carers just can't have. They can't have it all the time, like sleep. Yes. You know, and um, and I think we have to remember that it's that, you know, we we need to prioritize that we have to. So that's the reason why I did put in a I ummed an art about a self-care chapter in the book. And I talked to my editor about like whether I could name it something else. And in the end, we realized there's actually no other word that can really describe what I'm talking about. So we'll have to use it. But um, so on the one hand, I think the conversation isn't quite nuanced enough and needs to include lots of things. And it's a bit narrow. But on the other hand, we do actually need to talk about things like sleep and Mm -hmm. exercise and things because they are, I think, the most basic fundamental things we need as humans other than shelter and food and we can't survive without them and there are many people out there trying to survive without enough Um, if we know as carers just how important they are to our health our long-term health um, and well-being and mental health then we if we have that that knowledge and we really truly believe it that we believe that we are deserving of it yes we can fight for it and by fight for, I mean, you know, like argue for extra respite or yeah. negotiate with a partner to, to be able to take more time away from the home. Um, you know, the sleep thing is a really big thing um, because a lot of people need care throughout the night. That's fine. There's nothing you can actually do about that. Some mm. people just have those needs. But what you can do is remove yourself <laughs> from the situation occasionally. And I spoke to lots of people in the book actually about they have the most creative ways of of getting away and getting sleep. <laughs> um, and one way that I had it put to me by um, um, somebody who said it was actually a, who is raising a daughter who's autistic and has epilepsy, and she said it was an adult autistic friend of hers that said to her, um, it's your duty to make sure there are other people who can support your daughter. It would be unfair of you to be the only one that could care for her. It's so unfair on her because what if something happens to you and something will eventually happen to you. Yeah. And she's like, you have a duty to have a network of people you can rely on. That means you do have to do the hard thing of asking if someone, if you can train someone to help support your child. Um, If you can ask for help, it's actually so important for the people we look after that we learn to ask for help. It's not, um, we need to get over our egos a little bit, you know, it's really hard, but we do. And it's important for us and it's important for the people that we care for. Um, And I think a lot of the time it is ego. Not that yeah. that's entirely our fo- fault. This is a very, this is all it's, very culturally embedded stuff. Yes, ingrained patterns. <laughs> I'm not blaming. No, anyone. but I think um, you're I find it very hard. I still find it really hard to ask for help. I want to do it all myself all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. <it's> 
But uh, also because you kind of did so much yourself from a young yes. age. Anyway. Like those patterns, they run deep, don't they? And it's it's very difficult to kind of switch from, you know, kind of doing everything to go, okay, I'd like some help now. I find that really difficult. It's really difficult. And the pandemic, I have to yeah. say, it basically proved to me why I hate needing help from anyone because yeah. it all got taken away, every bit of it. It all got taken away. And it was, and I spoke to a lot of carers during those first few weeks. And there was such, we all had such a feeling of grief that we let these people and services and communities help us. And then they were all taken away. And it was terrifying because you've built your life around support and you don't know how to function without it. And so as support comes back, we're all very nervously taking the support back. I mean, obviously we're all desperate for it, but it's not easy. It's no. really, really difficult to get your head around this idea that I have to learn to rely on something that I know. I know now for sure it can be taken away. Yeah. You know? And that's been one of the really tricky things. And I remember having a big fit about it, like a few weeks into the pandemic, just going, this is why I hate needing help, you know, because I was so angry that I couldn't just do it all myself. Um, not angry at my son, because again, no. it's a very reasonable, they just are what they are. They're fine. It's not, you know, mm. I think, you know, every human has different needs. His just happened to be quite a lot. It's fine. Um, but I can't do it alone. And I get really frustrated at myself for not being able to do it alone, even though logically I know it's not possible. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. a lot of a lot of different feelings going on about that. But, um, but yeah, it was really interesting talking from that perspective of like, we do sometimes need to look at it as a duty to the people we care for, to take care of ourselves, but also, and that's how my mum saw it. I think that's how it switched for my mum, which was like, oh, I made a really big mistake here because now it's true. We all suffered because she suffered. Um, blame my mum for that, by the way, it's not my mum's fault. It was a multitude of circumstances that happened and I certainly don't blame her but we all suffered because yes. of it um and I that's very um present with me all the time this idea that um you know when I'm having to make difficult choices about you know paying for more childcare or like trying to work out how I'm gonna um because I'm changing all my work at the moment because my son's needs have changed quite significantly this past year and I really and finding it a real challenge to be out of the house. So I'm changing my work around to be much more of the writing, much less of the shooting, which has to be done elsewhere. Um, And all of these things I'm doing because I know that I need to preserve my energy. I know I need to look after myself because I know the consequences when you don't. Um, And it was really interesting when you contacted me about the, the, um, about the podcast, because you said, Oh, I want to, I want to talk to you about how you've avoided burnout. And I, oh, I laughed when I heard that. <laughs> You're like, Blake, <laughs> you have no idea. I'm like, it could be around the corner at any moment. Literally. Oh. Yeah. Because, I mean, I feel like I'm constantly making choices to keep myself safe. And I would call it that. I yes. would call it because, you know, the kind of level of care that I have to give at times is very high. It's very intense sometimes. Um and I'm on my own a lot of the time, although I do have a boyfriend. He doesn't live with us, but he does spend quite a bit of time here. But ultimately, things are on my shoulders most of the time. And so 
and obviously sort of ongoing in the future. Um, so I do think it comes down to safety because yeah. what if I do, what if I burn out? I mean, for instance, the other day we had, I mean, we had last week a number of, we had a holiday here last week and it was a number of intense public meltdowns, which are very dangerous, like mm. physically very dangerous because he bolts and runs into the road and stuff. And there was a point at which I thought I almost fell and twisted my ankle, but I didn't, oh. I stopped myself in time. But like, if I twist my ankle, I can't safely look after my son because I can't yeah. keep him safe. And so it does come down to with things like self-care and like looking after yourself, it, it literally comes down to safety. Um, and if something happened to me where I couldn't physically run, for instance, or couldn't yeah. physically hold my son in certain situations, I would not be able to leave the house with him. So, um, so in terms of like long-term, I think very long-term about it. Um, so if I put on too much pressure on myself, um, if I try and do too much with him or if I take him to situations that aren't safe and then put us, I do too much, than, more than I can, sorry, if I do more than I can personally manage and if I don't ask for the help I need and all those things, um, I risk yeah. putting us all in danger. Um, and it's funny, I wrote about this the other day and um, a lot of care, parent carers really said that really resonated and they said this is the hard thing for people other people to understand often it's the choice between um doing something you know would be good for your child but preserving enough energy to keep going right. and you're constantly making the choice between those two things yeah um, and that might be just either a trip to the shops or a day out or inviting someone over or even small things like that can cause huge amounts of stress and things can go wrong but if you're stress levels are quite high all the time anyway those what to other families might seem like small stress situations or a little bit of a spike in the stressful situation because you're going away or whatever can really tip you over the edge as a carer yes. um, so you're kind of constantly it's that that balance between providing opportunities for your disabled child but also preserving enough energy knowing that if you lose all of your energy then you won't be able to function properly yeah safely with everybody yeah and and I remember reading that um simple things like um Arthur getting his transport to school that your morning had you knew you had to kind of manage and keep that morning very calm and and stick to the structure because if that kind of went away and and kind of triggered Arthur then that they wouldn't take the transport and then that affects Mm -hmm. everything and it's little things like that that I don't think a lot of people know and yeah, it's, it's what's so incredible in the book management <clears throat> all the time and it's yeah. what I guess the best way of describing it is just like quite constant hypervigilance so um I think the easiest way to explain it is like if if you know um anyone who's a parent will remember having a, like a fairly young toddler mm-hmm. who's just really into exploring and suddenly you have to just be vigilant everywhere you go because you don't know, oh, they're going to climb out the stairs. You're going to, they're going to open that cupboard. They're going to like, you know, go into those toilets or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to be really on it all the time and, um, and be quick to kind of <laughs> jump in when necessary. It's like that just all the time. Yes. Um, yeah. And because my, my son is, is, and he's bigger and he's 
constantly changing as well. So what is wasn't a danger four years ago is suddenly a danger now. And what used to be a danger a few years ago is like no longer, but it just chops and changes. And so it's also always looking out for what's the next thing that could cause a massive problem yes. or a massive meltdown. And it is like you're kind of constantly problem solving, especially if your child can't communicate very well or can't articulate um, what it is that's very distressing for them or what causes problems for them. Um, so you're kind of it is like being in detective mode a lot of the time. And because of that, it ends up, families end up being very, very isolated because it's just easier to stay in a safe environment like the house, where even though you do have to be quite on it compared to maybe other families, you know where everything is, you know where the dangers are, it's much easier to respond. You've got your you've got your methods that you can use when you're safely yeah. in the house that you know, like your instant calm down things and whatever it is. Um, I'm certainly a lot more relaxed in the house, even yeah. though we do have things that happen in the house. Um, when I'm out of the house with Arthur, I am literally on yeah. the whole time. I can't, it's it's hard even to have conversations with people yeah. because I've got what half of my brain is on him at all times, um, if not all of it, depending on exactly where we are. <laughs> yeah. So that in itself can be really isolating. But, but so what ends up happening is people go, oh, it just be, I just need to manage my energy. So I've just got to stay home. I've just got to stay home. And right. it's tricky. It's always that balance between, you know, needing to be out in the world, needing to have contact with other people, wanting your child to access things, but also knowing there's only so much of that I can do before I just reach burnout. Yes. It takes a lot of energy. Um, and then it might be that things are reasonably intense at home. So it's a bit, it takes longer for you to recover from an incident than maybe in a typical family where you can really relax at home. Yes. And, so, yeah, it's a lot of um, trying to balance everybody's needs. Yeah. Just, I, love- I mean, it's like parenthood, but just extreme. Extreme. <laughs> and, I, and I think you're right. You said at the beginning, like, um, you know, every family with a neurodiverse, you know, it, who are raised in a neurodiverse family, every family with an autistic child, it's going to be different for everyone. Mm. You know, yeah, my, my, one of my close friends, both of her boys are on the spectrum and it's really interesting. I, I really thought of her so much when I was reading your book, Penny, I really, because it reminded me of some of the conversations we've had about, you know, just kind of general life. And it, oh, it's such a good book. Um, what I did love is that when I read, when your kids would go to school, um, and it was your work day, you would, if you felt tired, go and have a nap before you started yeah. work. And I thought, oh my God, that's yeah. bloody brilliant because I, I think <laughs> there are many parents, particularly mums, mm. who would push through. They would think that was almost indulgent. Yeah. And I loved also how you mentioned that when, when carers have that respite time, they feel like they should be using it to earn, whereas you will use childcare for rest, which for me was just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. I mean, not just carers, almost every mother I know yes, doesn't allow themselves right. to do anything no. except work when they pay for childcare. Yes. Um, I just, I think in a way, partly it was my experience with mum for sure, partly because Arthur's needs are quite extreme compared to a typical child. Um, somehow I've always manage to mentally get my head around that and just be like well this is how I function so that's what I do um yeah I'm I have less childcare now than I did pre-pandemic just because of various different complicating factors Mm. (laughs) but I still have 
um, sort of just about enough. Um, but one thing I've always done since I've been a single parent, for instance, is that um, the after school nanny stays late on a Thursday. And I can work a bit later, for sure. But and I do a little bit work a little bit later, but I, um, I go out. Oh, good for like you. Every Thursday, because I just need to know there's one day of the week where um, I know that I could go to an event if I needed to. I could meet a friend if I needed to. I can spend time with my boyfriend without um, constant interruption and noise because that's the thing is that um when I'm at home I can't I, it's really hard to socialize with my son I do but it's different and I do invite people into our house obviously when it's allowed which it is again which is fabulous Yay. um sometimes it doesn't work but most of the time he's okay with our close friends coming over um but it is different you know he constantly checks in with me verbally he makes a lot yeah. of noise it's um it's great and I love him and it's great to be around him a lot, but I do need times where I can have a conversation with someone that isn't with him constantly putting the iPad in front of me, my face yes. right up to my nose showing me something <laughs> <laughs> because he has no concept of not interrupting and oh. you know all that stuff. Um, so, um, you know, that's kind of a deal breaker for me. Right. Obviously, I, I kind of hate, actually kind of hate the word deal breaker. That doesn't make much sense. It was all taken away for quite a long time last year. So it's hardly a deal breaker. Which, but, yeah. You know, and so for me, it's a priority, I would say. It's a priority. It's not just, I don't just need childcare to work. I need childcare to have a break. Um, and and you know, people in relationships, you would have to just negotiate that you both had breaks yeah. you know someone else was in the house when they were in, the other person was in the house and that's fine but because there isn't ever another their dad is never in the house at the same time as me um I have to, I pay for that um yeah. and I decided a long time ago that that was worth it and it keeps me sane and it's a big part of how I keep sane just knowing that okay on Thursday I can have a break on Thursday I can see so and so on Thursday I can do this yeah and that's important to you because we need to remember as well in that knowledge like you're a creative so you kind of I know you're also a fan of Julia Cameron's The Artist Way and mm. so having those artist dates having that space for you to like just be allows yeah. that creativity because it was hard to be creative in those very dark days of the pandemic it, I think a lot oh, of creatives yeah. like oh is this yeah tricky? I need I do need headspace um to be able to think and it's yeah. really hard to think with very, very, a very, very noisy child who always interrupts what you're thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was intense. But um, yeah, I have always, because I've been freelance for so long, I, I think what helped was probably that I was doing it as a freelancer before I became a parent. Yeah. Um, I think partly was because the first sort of five, six years of my career, I was a photographer's assistant for fashion photographers and I traveled like extensively during that time and that meant that I was often working weekends and um, so I didn't ever really work a structured nine to five I never worked a nine to five ever but I'd never worked a Monday to Friday either particularly although I had plenty of weeks where I did work Monday to Friday but it was never strictly that so I think in a way it's not it's it's always been normal for me to say work six days on the trot and then not work for three or four days and do other things instead so yeah. I just I don't, I don't have that structure embedded in me. So it's quite normal for me to, on a Tuesday, go off and do something that I want to do yeah. because I don't have anything, I don't have an urgent deadline, so I'm just going to do it now. It's okay. I don't care that it's Tuesday. Yeah. Um, 
So I have always used the weekdays as well to do other things if necessary. I do spend a lot of time working um, because I don't really have um, always have the time that I want to work and I do like working um, yeah. and I need to earn money. But, um, but I'm not, I guess, completely wedded to um, strict working times. And for instance, like now, I always, my newsletter goes out on a Sunday. I'm only doing them fortnightly, so it's not that big a deal. But um, I tried for a while doing them like during the week, like having a structured time where I did them during okay. the week. But actually, I really like writing them Sunday morning. So oh. most of the time when someone gets a newsletter from me on a Sunday, I at like 10 o'clock, I've written it at seven o'clock that morning. Maybe that's why they're so magical. I mean, they're so good, Penny. Maybe that's <laughs> that's why. I mean, because it's it's I haven't I know what I'm what the what the theme is, and I have I know in my mind often what I wanted to write about that week, but I haven't written it. I'll just sort of get up and write it that morning. Usually, not always, sometimes occasionally I do it in advance, but most of the time I've just done it that morning. Amazing. And, and so I might have I might do two hours work on a Sunday morning but just because I feel like it I don't have to I could organize my week better and do it if I wanted to but I realized actually I quite like doing it that way and I think that shows through your work I really do I'm just listening to this I'm thinking gosh Penny lives her life fully those moments fully just like (laughs) Arthur does you know it's you make the most of every moment whatever that moment is you're going to live it fully I don't want to give the impression that I'm a super productive person either, because I think that is not true. I think it's 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 sort of easy probably to look from the outside and be like, oh gosh, she just gets so much done. But I, I really spend lots of time doing not very much as which well. Which I also very, think is living fully. I'm learning yes, that in yeah, this yeah, whole yeah, burnout yeah. recovery. If you'd asked me that a couple of years ago, I would have gone, huh? Now yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I understand the importance now of going, I'm tired. I'm going to have a little nap. I never used yeah. to nap. Now I do. It's though yeah. it's living fully those moments of what your body needs, what you need, because when you have a little nap, then you're writing, you write masterpieces like this. Like, <laughs> oh my God, Penny. Like, it's there was incredible. a lot of naps during tender. They well, were- I'm not surprised because, <laughs> I mean, look at all the flags. <laughs> and that's, and like, it's just covered in highlighter. <laughs> it's yeah. an incredible book. I wanted to say to everyone listening like I really hope they all go and get this book it's it's something that I think you know all teachers all healthcare professionals anyone who has a friend close family member you know who is caring get this book like read it but it's also for people who just want to explore life lessons in someone else's shoes I think honestly it would be if everyone could read this book, it's incredible. Absolutely incredible, Penny. Like, That's I'm just fine. in awe of you. It's amazing. It really is. So, yes. So, I'm curious as to when I, like, you did a brilliant episode on your podcast um, about rest. And mm-hmm. you talked a lot about kind of, you know, making sure you've got ample time for rest. And I just wonder what, what kind of things like really give you that oh blissful oh. state of it because we're all different reading. it's not about reading reading oh like, reading is just like my aside from work I'd say reading is my biggest self-care thing that I do that makes me feel um really rested I think partly it's because 
um, especially with novels, you're just in another world. And right. it's like you have a whole break from that chattery part of your brain and you're just in another world. So yeah. I, that's one of the reasons why I love it so much, but also because I feel like we just feel so seen in fiction. Yes. You know, when you really, when you read things that you really connect with emotionally and you're, you feel, even though you're reading about completely different situations, the emotions are there and you recognize them and you feel really seen. Yes. And so I love that side of reading as well. Um, and so I listen to a lot of audiobooks because it's hard to sit and read when you've got two kids. Yes. <laughs> it's really hard. So for anyone listening going, but how do you have time? Um, so you do have to get quite creative. I love audiobooks. And so I've listened to them for years and years and years, well before Audible even existed and before there were iPhones, because as a photographer, I sit and do a lot of retouching and it's okay. boring and I hate it. I really hate that part of my job. Um I, I can, I don't, I can listen to words when I'm retouching because I'm not using a word side of my brain. I can't possibly yes. listen to, I can't listen to music with lyrics when I'm writing. I can only listen to music without lyrics. Yeah. But if I'm retouching, I can listen to a book. And so um, often I bribe myself to sit down and retouch a job so I can hand it over to a client by saying, oh, I can open right. the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, so I've been listening to audio for years for that reason and also driving mm-hmm. to shoots around the country because I do shoot outside of London quite a lot. So um, I was already accustomed to it, but actually it's brilliant as a parent and a carer. It's brilliant because I put on an audiobook and I cook dinner and I hang out the washing and I fold laundry and you know, I, I can tidy up and, um, you know, you can't do any of that while holding a book. So, no. um, so I do love audiobooks and I do try and read as well because reading, obviously you have to sit down and not do anything else. So that's also really good for you rather than constantly doing. So I have both so that I can get times where I'm resting, but also times where I'm just mentally in another place and having yes. a nice little mental holiday, even though I'm physically doing some housework and stuff. Yes, because you said over the Christmas break, you kind of was like, okay, I'm oh, not going to work. And you just no, read. I read like 14 yeah. books or something. Oh, yeah, something right. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, and I'm actually going on holiday <laughs> next week for just a short one. I think it's like four days. And, um, and I will take a stack of actual books because mm. I don't get as much time to sit and read as I would like. Um, um, so I will try and avoid using the audio while I'm away just because it'll, because I won't be with children. So I will actually have the opportunity to read. um, Fantastic. Oh my gosh. And I can't wait because you're working on some fiction now, aren't you? I am. Very very slowly in the background. Of course. And it's for you. And it's for you. And I was going to (laughs) say, like you said in the podcast, like you're writing fiction but it's it's purely for you and it's that joy it gives you as opposed to it being another thing on the to-do list because I think that's one thing when people struggle with self-care I I certainly did is like 50 things on a to-do list and they're all negative as opposed to things that bring you joy and I mean on that note I would say I am a big fan of the very tiny to-do list yes the very learning, tiny one, I'm learning like, that. Three times, like three things yes. in a day. And obviously you might do more, but I'm a big fan of just constantly prioritizing. Um, but um, yes, I am writing, but it is, it is, yes, 
very much in the it's background. It's for you. It's for you. And anyone listening, like I urge you to go and read. You've written some incredible articles for The Telegraph. Oh, my gosh. They're just brilliant. They really are. I love that picture of you with your kids when they were younger in the Telegraph. Because <gasps> oh, yeah. I was thinking you're a photographer, so you never, you're taking pictures of the kids. You never get pictures no, of you I with the kids. I have very few. I have literally a few. And in fact, the one that was, I did something for them the other day and the picture I sent and they said, oh, who should we credit? I'm like, oh, my cable release? Because I think it was the camera on the tripod. <laughs> <laughs> yes, fantastic. So, no, I'm, I'm a little bit like a lot of photographers. I'm a bit rubbish yeah. at taking pictures of my own. Yeah, my it's a common thread. Certainly not me. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Penny, I think so much of what you shared today is really going to resonate with a lot of people. It's um, like you're just incredible, and I, and I think your message. And again, like we've only touched like the teeny tip of the iceberg with the book. Like there is so so many valuable lessons in here I just hope people go and get to really enjoy it. take self-care time and sit and read Penny's book because <laughs> it's just absolutely fantastic it really well, thank is you. That's, that's really really kind now I've been asking um like my guests because it's interesting what we all we all do something different and I was just wondering if I could ask you some quick fire light party provoking questions um so on those dodgy tough days you know when you haven't slept much and it's all busy and whatever um do you have lemon in your water or lemon in gin oh gin oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, and do you move your body or do you move the remote body body yeah yes yes you read yep. the Nagowski book, um sisters book didn't you you talk about that yes in your book. oh god that's such a good book yeah. yes and they talk about ending that stress cycle and physically mm. and yeah it's yeah. important yeah. okay uh are you bag of almonds or bag of Maltesers <gasps> Oh, can I have both? I like yeah. both. Oh, yeah, I have both. Yeah, have both. Have both. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, this will be interesting. Ask for help or happy to hermit? Uh, I mean, ask for help, but not because I want to or like yeah. it. You must prefer to hermit <laughs> and get it all sorted. I would love to hermit, but I know <laughs> that I can't. And the right thing to do is to ask for help. I know. So, I know. I'm yeah. learning that too. <laughs> And lastly, what's the one thing in the name of self-care that you're going to do today that your future self Ooh. is going to thank you for? Oh, 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 well, it's Thursday. So I have <laughs> so... the evening out. So Ooh, um, where are you going to yeah. go, Penny? So we, I'm going out for a drink with friends just locally. Oh, lovely. I haven't actually done that yet properly. I mean, I've been out for drinks with no. my boyfriend and we have and actually no I've been for a drink in a couple of friends gardens and houses now the last few weeks that we've been allowed to do that but actually I it was so busy when they opened the pubs here in London and there was it everyone just went quick that that it was like impossible to get a table so I think I just sort of (laughs) put it out of my mind and went to some friends gardens and stuff and actually I realized the other day that we hadn't done that so I've organized a small group of friends to meet up because the paperback has come out today so exciting came out in lockdown last year so I was all alone with my children now you can celebrate and so we're gonna have a drink tonight oh fantastic there we go well deserved definitely my self-care of the day I love it friends yeah (laughs) I love it 
Oh, Penny, Penny, thank you so much for your time today. It's been so lovely chatting to you and, you know, talking about your book. And uh, yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everyday Burnout Conversations. Please check the show notes for any links to items discussed today. And the original music and sound editing is by Chris Taylor. If you've enjoyed this podcast and have a spare few minutes, then it would be absolutely amazing if you could leave me a happy starry rating and review. It really does help this podcast reach a little further. And I just love it to land in the lap of those who, like me, last year are perhaps feeling isolated and lonely in their burnout struggle. Please note this podcast is not intended as medical advice. Remember you matter so don't hesitate to reach out to your doctor or mental health professional for support if you're having a rough time. Wishing you a great week and take good care of yourself. Bye for now.